0: Did you, uh, you saw what I posted on, um, what's it called? Instagram. Instagram. I think so. You, you did? Check Instagram. The two of, uh, oh, I yeah, used your on. face. Yes, I did. I put, I put your face on the internet. You did. Yes. It's kind of you our did. announcement photo that we're back, but hopefully this episode will be the one that I start doing some actual promotion and trying to get the podcast in new places fingers crossed I've, I've tried too. okay well i'm As
1: in just posting it to reddit yes the epicenter of academic film
0: study of course <laughs> the, the 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 21st century epicenter
1: you don't get smarter than reddit not
0: really i so i literally just came back from for the first time ever i did a uh, escape room Oh, that's what you did today? Yes, this was a a marketing department retreat. Oh, yeah, really, just an excuse to leave work early and hang out a little. Oh, not bad. Yeah, have you ever done an escape room? I have not. I've always wanted to try one though. It was really fun. I feel but like it was warm. I was feel. Like,
1: I consider myself a decently smart person, mm. but I feel like the environment of an escape room would just bring out the stupidest in me.
0: <laughs> it probably. And I would, would. not you like are... to pay a good amount of money to be shamed in public. You are a person who stupid can be brought out of I mean that in the best yes. way possible. Funny. Oh, I know. It's great. Okay, good.
1: Which is fine when you're with friends, but when you're with strangers who just want to escape not well, exactly the
0: ideal situation. If you get enough friends together, it could just be you and friends. In that in that case That's it's true. probably fun. You that probably wouldn't make it out in time, but you know yeah you never know yeah. but i all i so we did the the escape room that we did was uh uh bank heist uh themed Ooh. so instead of trying to escape you were trying to get into the vault and that was a lot of fun uh, but all all i was thinking about was gosh i could really watch another jean pierre melville crime movie again like the the red circle Oh
1: yes. I had to look him up.
0: Lay Samurai. You don't remember. Yeah. We did him on the I podcast, Chandler. Yeah, I know. Um, he's he's Out turning away. over in his grave. I've f i have got him mixed up with the guy did Rafifi. Ah, well they're they're two peas in a pod. And I'm also on the um the Tati train right now. Are you? How is you okay, so enough about me you watched playtime this week jacques Duttier's i did watch playtime. playtime i watched quite a few movies this week more than i usually do but yes i did watch playtime how was that for you? uh isn't it on the podcast it is a little later but i i feel like i'd like to hear your just initial okay. thoughts well, on viewing it was uh it, it was one of
1: those movies sort of like nashville where the first half of the movie i just thought what is going on what what are you doing what is this movie about and then at a certain point i just sort of settled in and i thought eh, i don't think the point is to be thinking about this sort of thing i think the point is to just observe feel this whole thing going on just Hmm. by the end i was just amazed at just the crazy amount of effort it must have taken for all of this The sets the extras the direction the just, it's such beautifully calculated silliness. It, it, wonderful organized chaos is how I. It really it. is, and it wasn't until the restaurant scene where I was just like, okay, and now I want I I really want to go back and watch it, w- understanding this sort of uh, the style that it's going for. Because by the end, I didn't want it to end. Mm. The car, just the car carousel, was just beautiful. And the music, and it's just, ugh, it's so nice.
0: I need to watch it again. That's all I'll say. Okay. I, I might. I don't think I fully go. latched onto it the first time, but I know I will enjoy mm-hmm. it a lot more. Upon but The a restaurant is just fun. It's just, it's, fun. it's the best by far, the best sequence. And uh, how can you not love it? That little light, that that little stare
1: that goes from like the ground level to just barely above ground level and how that light kept going off and then someone finally tripped over it It is it it, i was just blown away the whole time
0: so for the the uninitiated jacques Dati's playtime it's just a series of sequences of like organized chaos within a constructed version of paris so like um modernist like there's an office sequence where uh this guy's trying to find someone in an office building and he's going in and out of cubicles and upstairs and down elevators and chairs make noises. And it's, it's just fun. It's just silly. It's play fun. Time.
1: It's just, it's a playhouse for the eyes.
0: Yeah. It's, it's certainly one of the most ambitious films put on screen. It really in is. In terms and of just, both artistic, even, aesthetic merits. And, Cause he
1: shot it over a few years and I just can't mm-hmm. even comprehend
0: how those sets were built. God, it's wow. That's all I have to say. It's crazy, you know. Even if you don't like it, you can probably appreciate it for the oh yeah artistry and and all the manpower that would have to go into creating these impeccably organized sequences.
1: If you don't like it as a movie, you can at least respect it as an art piece. Mm. Yep, is a living, breathing painting.
0: Um, that's playtime. I think we will be discussing it further later on in the the BFI. I could not tell you where. I don't know where I put the Well, loop. that's
1: the that's the fun of this. I like to keep this all a secret. Well. Most uh, for me, me more it's, so than you.
0: Yeah, I there's no secrets for me. Someone has to be keeping track of someone where someone has at. to plan it. <laughs> uh. So anything that's else great. interesting you watched or happened to you this week? Uh,
1: not much uh, as way of happening, but as I've told you multiple times, I am binging on cinema at the cinema and let me just tell
0: you this is
1: unlike anything i've ever seen
0: uh it oh i also saw the. it is dry absurdism at its finest and uh, it
1: is the perfect satire of the the well-meaning but ultimately unknowledgeable film critic and there is just i don't want to call it lore because lore is such a serious word for such a non-serious thing but for a show about movies, I would say they talk about movies maybe five percent of the time. I just want to, I just want to paint this because the last thing that I watched every year they do an Oscar special, and it's just a live show for like two hours where it's about the Oscars, and Tim Heidecker just gets absolutely hammered. They rarely talk about the Oscars. It's just two hours of cringe-inducing passive-aggressive uh warfare going on between two people who really know nothing about movies. And the last thing that happens is the entire special, the co-host is talking about the great giant finale that this show is going to have, and it's alluded to throughout the entire runtime, and in the last two minutes. This giant red curtain unveils the supposed surprise that's been alluded to this entire time. And it is the co host's collection of VHS tapes lined up in domino fashion to spell the word Oscar. He spells it incorrectly O S C E R. He knocks them down and they don't even fall all the way down. And that is on cinema at the cinema in a nutshell.
0: Sometimes for me, it's just a little too um nonsensical in terms of content like there's <laughs> nothing there and that's the point but it, it just gets frustrating at a point and like i get it i get it you just keep doing it it's funny and and like kind of standing back from it yeah. but oftentimes i'll start watching a little on cinema at the cinema and i'm just like <laughs> so the shorter stuff is what what gets me i haven't watched one of their oscar things yet i I might give it a try it's so dumb it might be too taxing on my uh yeah my overactive brain yeah Yeah.
1: i can't even remember the actual movies i watched the invisible man that was about it oh oh yes i remember uh Mm. portrait of a lady on fire
0: oh so yes, yes so we're talking about that We'll go straight into that. Straight into that hard cut to uh... uh Chandler Chandler I believe has gone to some film festivals before. I have not other than the the low the low class ones that the the university put on. Um, but an actual real film festival uh never been to. And I heard that Tucson, Arizona was putting on the Tucson Film Festival. This was Few years in a running, I think they've been doing it now, and I uh, managed to get Nick and Chandler down for that because uh, they were playing this year. They played uh, a few things that were of note of interest, uh, but in particular the three that we watched. There were two things of note. Yeah, I I, I was interested. Two to things see. of larger interest. Yes, but I was interested to see the the third. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. So instead of beating around the bush, the first thing we watched there was Portrait of Lady on Fire, and then we watched Wrinkles the Clown, which is a documentary uh, about a clown in Florida, and then we watched Marriage Story, and I. It was an interesting experience, because one, it was in downtown Tucson, and I haven't spent any time in downtown Tucson in a long time, and that place was a shit show about 10 years ago, like no one cared about it. It was just dead, and mm-hmm. they've done some really great revitalization of that area. so it was kind of nice to see that. but they had the, our first showing was in the Masonic Temple downtown, something like that, and it, you know, big, big stone brick kind of building old and there were i remember very specifically there in to get to the bathroom uh you open the door and there was a step on the inside of the door i don't think anyone yeah, ever tripped really. on that but i'm surprised that no one ever did it's, yeah um but we were in this it was almost like a ballroom but it wasn't it was like the screening room for portrait of lady on fire was the farthest thing from ever being considered a optimal viewing experience. Yeah. And it, the screen was small and far away. The doors to the lobby, which has the bar in it, the VIP bar lounge. So it was constantly full and loud. The doors were not soundproof in any way. So there was always this background chatter going on. And the seats were just a little bit too close to each other. So Chandler, Nick, and I were nice and comfy together. Um, they were also the yeah. kind of chairs that your, your high school pulls out of deep storage when there's a few extra people to sit in the back. Just Yeah, not great. Just $5 Costco plastic chairs. but Just
1: all around not optimal.
0: All around not optimal. And, and yet it was uh, an utterly enthralling experience. And it was a great movie to watch. And it was only recently when I finally got the chance to see portrait of lady on fire in a real theater at the loft here in Tucson that I realized how underwhelming yeah. and unspectacular Say. that viewing experience was compared to seeing the film in its glory projected right there in front of you with perfect audio Chandler. You recently rewatched portrait of a lady on fire talk to us i did what is it what is the film about and what was your experience
1: well obviously i had the same exact experience you did i saw this at the film festival with you and i i knew that it was great there was no denying that even under the less than ideal circumstances there was a lot there that took me away from the background chatter and the ballroom echoes and I forgot that it was not that great of a viewing experience until you told me that it was like seeing a completely different movie I then rearranged my schedule in order to make a last minute effort to watch this again and let me tell you I will Tucson was fun but I'm burying that memory under this one because it was a much better viewing experience. It was like seeing a completely different movie. Uh, and to sum it up, it's basically about a, uh, I want to say late 18th century French painter, a woman who is sent on a task to go to this uh, distant estate on the coast of some sort of French island. And she is tasked with the uh, painting of a... Um, young woman who's about to be married off in Milan. Uh, She protests this wedding, so she wouldn't let the last portrait maker uh, paint her. And so the mother thinks, oh, let's take this woman, uh, disguise her as the walking companion to the daughter. And then bit by bit, this painter sort of observes her features and makes a portrait of her. But that's not what it's really about. It's really about their uh nice little romance they spring over the course of the painting.
0: It's hard to sum up. Yeah. But small small side tangent, because when I was listening to you talk about that there, you think it's uh, I think it's of note at least, because the film deals with a lot of feminist uh theory yes. ideas and yada yada yada. I think it's interesting that the first painter that uh was hired, um I always assumed that it was a man that was hired first. Yeah. I don't know if it's ever explicitly stated, but it's interesting that the, the painter that was hired, she, she actually painted her father painted the portrait um, of the mother of the woman. Yeah. yeah. So there was a connection there, but it's interesting that the, the woman, the mother didn't hire the, the painter with the connection, a woman first interesting Mm -hmm. i don't it's reaching but uh, a thought that literally just occurred to me
1: um yeah that's what makes it the movie so interesting is that it's it's almost completely devoid of men in general i there's not like a single man who gets more than two lines maybe the guy who approaches uh, her at the end to talk about her painting but it's very much a woman's point of view of a world that is mainly at that time pretty male dominated. So
0: uh, <laughs> I'm trying to like, how do, where do I begin with this film? It's genuinely probably one of the best theater experiences I've ever had. And this is on a second viewing. Um, I would probably rank my theater viewing experience over Parasite. Yeah. And Parasite's the better movie. I know this is yeah. a fact. But uh, I think there's something about uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire that's much more engaging on a kind of emotional level. Yeah. Right? On on an empathy level, an empathetic level. Then Parasite is like a thriller and you're engaged because the stakes are high and it's incredibly well-made, engaging filmmaking. Portrait of a Lady on Fire is engaging because you are fully invested in the relationship between the characters and you are with them 100% of the way as their relationship develops and it it was honestly a gorgeous film so so gorgeous to look at and to experience that I got a little emotional just taking it all in and it's a lot to take in
1: it's a lot to take in because it's it's very layered. It's it's on, on the one hand it's a love story. On the other hand, it explores the the three way relationship between muse, artist, and art, and how those all affect each other in different ways. Uh, it's also a very feminist movie. It's just there's a lot going on, but it's never hitting you over the head with what it's about. It is just a nice little intimate very well-crafted movie that just gives so much time to just such intimate moments that those little moments add up into this actual picture. Um, I just, one of the things that I very much enjoyed was just the little, so much time is given to just the act of painting. And, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's an old saying you know watching paint dry it's equated to the most boring of the boring but there i just there's something so satisfying about those scenes where you just slowly bit by bit see this painting come together you see the outlines and then you see the colors and how she mixes the colors and fills in those outlines and you can see
0: for me it's you know, like it, the the brush strokes and then in particular the sound of the paint and the, the brushes sound. going on the oh, canvas
1: you can you can hear just the bristles against every little groove in the canvas and the crackling of the fire.
0: It's just Ugh. It's ASMR for the soul. It's a film about details. Particularly, I think, of note, I think if you're looking at the film as what what went right, what are like the top three things about the film? Number one is maybe not in order, but just the first one that comes to mind is the cinematography, which is Stunning and evocative of painting itself. Like there are frames it's in all the film. It's also so simple. Yeah, there's there are frames in the film that look like paintings. Like someone could have painted that scene mm-hmm. way back in the 18th century. And then the second thing, and it won best script at Cannes, and for a reason, it is an incredibly well-paced and interesting script that develops the characters in new and interesting ways with each scene. But mm-hmm. I think the thing that makes the, the film work and that probably is the best part about the film are the two lead performances, which mm-hmm. are just built upon little details in their relationship of like glances and the timing between glances between the two of them. It's, it felt so natural and engaging that this is like one of the best, on screen couples in terms of performance, I think i've ever seen ever in film you
1: see the, the I think the scene that perfectly encapsulate uh, encapsulates this idea is just that scene where they're both standing over the cliff and it's just like it's a side shot you can just it 's just portraits of their faces and um marianne's face is completely covering eloise's face, but then when she glances at Eloise. You get to see her, and it's just it's this tug of war between gazes, and mm. you can just kind of see that they're both secretly checking each other out and it- Ooh, <laughs> I
0: was pulling up I wanted to see what the never mind ignore me
1: oh and the uh one other thing I wanted to touch on as far as the uh the 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 painting aspect of this movie the fact that this all does resemble an actual um uh old painting is the fact that much like Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson in the lighthouse who have these very historic looking faces, very angular that look like they would uh, fit right at home at some sort of uh, old pictures of sailors. I think Adele Hanel, the the woman who plays Eloise has a very classically beautiful looking face. It's also she interesting. Straight cause it's out of
0: kind of stern in a way, it kind of, Yeah. Did you get that? It has a very harsh look to it. But continue.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she's just got very classical looking features that especially when you see the paintings sort of come together, it it she really does look straight out of that time period. More so than anyone else in the movie, I think. And I found her performance definitely the most captivating of the two. But again, they they have such great on stream on screen chemistry straight from the beginning that they're the whole blossom of the romance felt very organic.
0: Yeah, and then it, it's also interesting to note that there's only two or three lines said by a man in the entire film. Yeah. And they're at the beginning and the end. You know, she gets dropped mm-hmm. off on the island and there's a man there. And then at the end they're they're commenting on a painting. And there's a man there. Oh, and there's that's also it. a
1: man that, there to
0: pick her up. Oh, and then to pick her up. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So really the whole film is just her, Heloise, Marianne, uh, the maid, Sophie, and then the mother. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly just kind of tight and, and, and um, uh, self-contained in that house. They do go out once or twice, but these are very... Um, minimalist scenes when they go for the the spoiler alert abortion scene and then the the singing scene and campfire it's they the movie achieves so much and focuses so singularly on the romance that it's almost astounding that it works so well that it's paced so well that for most of the film you're just with these two characters
1: well because it's the first half is
0: you know it's it's
1: we're observing her eloise bit by bit to make the painting then when we see the full painting we realize that she they weren't really looking at her the right way so then they deconstruct the painting and then they sort of bring out who she is underneath to make the painting a little bit better but um i think one of the the best parts of this movie is that there's so many different points where i felt like i knew where the movie was going and if it was in the hands of anyone um anyone who wasn't uh who didn't know these characters as well they would take it in more cliche directions like when eloise finds out that marianne is painting her i felt like that would be a lesser director would have made that a point of conflict you know that she felt betrayed and uh, then there's there's sort of romance or friendship is then put on the rocks because of it but no eloise is a lot more understanding of Marianne's position and a lot more cooperative. Uh and then towards the end, uh, when they realize that their time is up, they don't make some sort of last ditch effort. They just sort of both are content with the idea that there, this is more of a, a a lasting fling than anything, and that just makes those last few moments that they have together all the more tragic. You know, the scene where she's like, Don't fall asleep because then tomorrow will come. It's I it's it's nice to see people that Treat these sort of romances a lot more realistically.
0: Yeah, I. So, I'd like to talk about the ending for a second. And before we do so, I'm just gonna say spoilers. uh But before mm-hmm. that, uh, for for the love of God, please watch this movie. It's it's out now. so wonderful, wide, pretty wide release. a yeah. wide release. I'm. It'll be released eventually on on Blu-ray. It's coming to the Criterion Collection eventually. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Deserves all the recognition it can get. I just from the the very beginning to the very end, it is rapturous and engaging. And man, what an ending it is! That it's fantastic. Last, see, I didn't really care for the ending. I think the thing that really bugged me about the first viewing was the ending. Uh, because that's what I liked the most. Really, on our first viewing. On the first viewing, yeah, because I liked the whole film, and it just felt because we were so far away from the screen that the ending felt yeah. kind of too disengaged for me, and mm. probably because I was already disengaged from a certain respect because there was no background noise and we were far away from yeah, the film, yeah. and we are—it's a departure. The ending is a departure from the past hour and forty-five, right? Kind and, of. Well, in terms of location and yeah, yeah, uh, focus, yeah. but. I'm. I know this is. I'm going to say two things of hyperbole right now, and I don't think they're Mm -hmm. hyperbole. One, uh, one of the best ending shots of all time. Yep. Is that when the at the very end when she's listening to the the Vivaldi piece, and Mm -hmm. amazing. That's probably the, the clearest example of a great performance here. Is when that performance and that slow zoom in at the end, and then, um the other piece of big hyperbole that i'd like to say and i've stated this publicly on reddit i think oh, portrait of lady oh. on fire is going to be one of the best movies ever made like if i can think of any movie from that i've seen recently that has a good chance of getting on like the bfi list in 10 years yeah it, it's this and i think it more than, more than deserves it yeah, um yeah. i think I parasite agree. i just think in, in terms of if I were to look at what has the best chance, critically yeah. and all that, I think that this will be looked back on by film scholars as a very important movie, both for yeah, it's the- feminist cinema and just good cinema in general. Yeah.
1: Now the the ending, what uh, what I love so much about the ending is that the last like, all those facial expressions on Eloise's face, they're just they sort of go through just they really encapsulate just the the nature of this romance in general at first she's a little hesitant you know mm-hmm. when she hears the uh when she hears the vivaldi piece and she's a little hesitant she doesn't want to really open up that memory and then you can see it slowly overtake her and she's just just flooded with sadness so you can see the tears and then the tears start turning into these exasperated cries but then as it holds on longer and longer you can see those tears start to dry up and those cries turn into smiles and it's sort of like a don't cry that it's over smile because it happened sort of thing that these two women have moved on they're not harping on the past but they're not upset about it and it's just still thinking about it though yeah they are still thinking about it they're both still moved and it's such That's why I I love this script so much is because they have all these nice, amazingly constructed situations. The fact that Marianne can watch Eloise and she not know and just be able to. It's such a a well-constructed way to observe her the way that we are observing her. We both see her, but they don't see us. And it's just it's a nice Voyeuristic way of just observing her emotions that makes perfect sense for the story, but also is an amazing way to summarize it all in one little scene. And the music is amazing, and it's diegetic, but also doesn't feel diegetic. And I just think it's a it's an amazing shot to end on, and it's one of the best endings of all time. I'll be honest.
0: Just that shot. There's a few others. There's where Heloise's standing on the, the beach near the end um, mm-hmm. in, her, in her green jet dress and the, the waves, some of my other favorites. Yep. And then a lot, of the, a lot of the interior stuff is mm-hmm. just lit with this kind of warm fire glow and this cool blue outside. And the contrast there is it's um, cool and seductive and beautiful and just wow, just wow all around.
1: Just fantastic!
0: Yeah, I can't believe of you know I can't think of a movie other than also Parasite. We've talked enough about Parasite. That's why I'm just ignoring it. But you know, it's it's one of the best films ever made too. But um, I just wow! I'm really glad that this film was made. It I very rarely state that where it's I think the the world of cinema is bettered by its presence
1: also it doesn't help or it doesn't hurt that uh celine siama and adele hanel have uh i don't know if you saw them at the the, whatever french awards ceremony gave awards to rowan polanski's latest film oh that one yeah
0: yep i respect the hell out of them oh they left didn't they or something we're yeah, so go? basically
1: uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire was submitted to this French film festival, the Caesar Film Festival. I don't remember what it's called. Mm. But uh, their film uh, lost the award to Rowan Polanski's latest film. And yeah, as soon as that happened, Adele hernel just basically stormed up left and said, like, viva la pedophile or whatever. And
0: yeah. I, I mean, my God, why the hell are you awarding a, I don't a, know. an award to Roman Polanski? I, I, I really don't really... D- it's not could, only it the could fact be, that it went to him, but it went to him over this. It could be Chinatown, for Christ's sake. But you don't, like, we're better than this. I feel like as a society we should have moved on from nope. awarding people like this. Nope. Now, right? Like, it's okay to think. watch those films. I think it's important to divulge the artist from the, the art. But when you start awarding that, that bridges the gap in a way that is highly, just unethically terrible. I, yep. I Like, 100% storming out A-plus move. I just, I don't get it. Yep. Honestly. The French, they're weird. Yep. They're great I, and they're weird. I don't weird.
1: even, I still don't understand why they didn't submit this to the Oscars. They oh, submitted. so
0: I, I was talking with uh, our good friend Brenton about that and... It it's probably because it didn't get a wide release until twenty twenty. That's fair. And there, a theory is that they they saw Parasite and they're like, "Well, we're we've lost the best foreign language Oscar, so let's not yeah. give it the U.S. release until twenty twenty, and we'll oh, win that Oh,
1: okay. All right. I mean, I, if, I will
0: be surprised if it's not nominated because I I was well, because, upset so, that it wasn't nominated. Yeah yeah um but hopefully this year so are we counting this as a 2020 release then i don't think so because we watched it in 2019 yeah um it's kind of funny that that way because then you have to like think about what are your best of the decade list and this one is <laughs> is it is <laughs> it not i yeah. like
1: oh yeah, I don't know. and point is it's amazing
0: yeah i don't know i generally i generally like to say that this, like the film world in general, like considers film festivals as the release of a movie. Yeah. Which I think is absurd because yeah. you've released a film to 30 people or 50 people or 100 people. Well, almost. I
1: don't, okay. So th- I don't know if we're going to go by this logic because I already made the case for Under the Silver Lake being a 2019 movie. Yeah. So if I'm going to follow my own logic, I might just consider this a 2020 movie. I, but,
0: I could not fight you on it, but the fact that yeah. we, I personally watched it. Yeah, that's I true. think that's I the exception. In general, if I, if a, a film that I have not seen gets released, in like there's a film festival one year and then gets its actual release the next year, it's yeah. the next year. It's the year that some you could- everyone can watch it, not just you know the creme de la creme at the the premiere.
1: True.
0: I don't know, but
1: doesn't matter. Go but, see it. Yeah. Just go see it. it it's, it's and hard. I this is. This is a day one Criterion purchase for me. Yep. I'll pay full price. I will definitely pay full price. Happily. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shall we get on to the next film?
0: Wow, we just have two really great movies this week, don't we?
1: Two life-affirming movies. Yes. let me tell you, I'm just going to go straight into it. Mm -hmm. This is... This is the first movie that made me not regret doing this podcast. This is. We've had had some good movies. We've had some not so good movies. But this is the first one we're like, okay, this podcast was worth it. Because Mm. if I didn't, it would have taken me a long time to get to this. Uh, The movie, for those curious, is The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. Directed by two directors. Uh, I always forget the names. Michael
0: Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. So Michael Powell is a British citizen man. Emmerich Mm -hmm. Pressburger is a Hungarian national. And from what I understand, I could be wrong. Michael Powell did most, not all, of the directing. And Emmerich Pressburger did most, but not all, of the writing. So there was a little division of labor. So they're kind
1: of like uh, William Friedkin and William Peter Blatty.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, Emmerich Pressburger did the producing. I don't know. They had, it's this weird thing where it's just like this creative unit that yeah. they did a bunch of different roles and they just awarded both of themselves. That's equal fine. Creative status as directors. Yeah. I, uh... anyway, uh, life and death of Colonel blimp is a 1943 movie. That's a guess completely. Yep, on it my is. Part. I'm looking, looking at it but, right now. Uh, about a, uh, British, Army man from his early young days as a young whippersnapper in the uh the Boer War and through the early 20th, 20, yeah, 20th century shenanigans in Europe into World War One and then World War two and then into his old age, where he has settled into his ways, and now there are new, younger whippersnappers who are uh Doing all the shenanigans, so it's a it's a you get a it full is, layer cake of history with this film. Yeah. So how it did is you feel a about very the movie? Personal
1: epic. Uh, I I love this so much. So everything about this, I just I I loved it so much. Uh, it's it's one of those movies that it's there. Uh, it's not so much a plot as it is an examination of one person uh and that one person would uh, be Colonel Blimp and the first thing that blows my mind about this is the makeup cuz i did i had no idea i had i knew nothing about this movie i assumed that if it was the life and death it was going to be uh, a very wide reaching movie going throughout history mm-hmm. but it i literally for about the first 10 or 20 minutes i thought they were two completely different people playing colonel blimp and I didn't realize until Ooh. after the movie that uh, Deborah Kerr played three different people.
0: I didn't realize that in my first viewing either.
1: Because so. they're so... She plays all three of these characters so differently, not just in her voice, but in her mannerisms and her just her facial alignment. It's just... It is crazy how they managed to convey so much time in this movie.
0: Yeah. I so my first viewing this is another classic example of Jacob has seen a movie before and Chandler mm-hmm. hasn't Yeah um I've watched it twice before first time it was oh this is cool fun movie um and then the second time I really really started vibing with it mm-hmm. and it is it is a wonderfully wholesome movie to watch surprisingly yeah and it's it's a long movie but it it's one of those that justifies its runtime yeah and there is actually on your note of of makeup there is actually a body double in the okay the so the opening the sauna room
1: scene. oh is it the is it when the camera is behind colonel blimp in the pool
0: yeah, so the okay. close-up shots he looks fatter there. <laughs> Close up shots are the actor, and then the the anything from behind yeah. or wider is a body double. Yeah. And that's simply just for the weight purposes. Uh because yeah. they want him to be heavier. And it's also because of that amazing shot that takes you from the present back to the past, where they're yeah. fighting in the pool, and then it, it glides over the pool and it's this one continuous shot that theoretically Colonel Blimp as an old man is in, and then the young man emerges from the pool at the other end yep. and seamlessly the, transitions you.
1: Yep. It is the perfect in-between. I felt like this is the perfect mixture of Citizen Kane and Lawrence of Arabia. Because hmm. you get a lot of that passage of time, but instead of it being like an outsider's look into this person, it's the actual person itself. It's There's a lot of wartime romance. Uh, a lot of uh, country-spanning conflict. You get a very deep dive into a single person over the course of his life. Um, but a lot of the presentation was very Kane-esque. But uh, hold on, when did Citizen Kane come out? Uh,
0: 1940. So two
1: years before this.
0: Okay, well, you, didn't... you didn't let me finish with my guess. Although I would have gotten oh, it wrong, probably. <laughs> yeah, 41. But yeah, I'm just...
1: I've always been fascinated by this idea when I'm when I'm around out and about getting a coffee, getting some gas, walking around. I just I just I constantly people watch and I look at people and I just think to myself, oh, that's just a person I see today. But if I really got to know this person, I would understand that there was years and years of life lived by this person that somehow brought them to me right in front of me right now. And
0: I feel like this is the
1: perfect kind of movie that just sort of explores that idea.
0: I that it was one of the critics. I don't know. Maybe it was uh, Roger Ebert or someone said um, of Colonel Blimp. To know Colonel Blimp is to love Colonel Blimp. Yep. And you do. You love him at the by the end.
1: Well, because at the beginning, it's <laughs> it's sort of like he's a cartoon this entire, Yeah, this entire movie is just it, it's like. It's like a PSA for you to stop saying OK
0: Boomer. I was literally just about to say, this is the antithesis of OK Boomer. The argument. It is an entire uh, thesis statement on stop saying OK Boomer. I think I, I put
1: that in my letterbox review that it was just a Boomer epic, but I mean that in the nicest way possible. Because I just, I love this sort of idea that colonel blimp is like this sort of bastion for the old ways because world war one in particular was a huge transition period i'm super into world war one i've talked about this before but it was a super transitionary period where we have the pre-world war one combat where it's just rows and rows of soldiers lining up against each other and fighting and then the post-world war one combat where it just became about how do we we have to fight the dirtiest way possible to win. We have to go as low and as deadly and as malicious as we can because we don't need to just beat the enemy. We need to crush the enemy. And that was a, a sentiment that was kind of beginning around World War I, and we saw how just how bad we could be towards the end of World War I, but it was an idea that wasn't really fully seen until world war ii and the nazis and stalin and occupation and invasion and stuff like that but what i love so much is that colonel blimp even when he's living through the horrors of world war one sort of turns a blind eye to this slowly devolving way of combat and you can see it when um his his fellow soldier that turns out to be his like butler or whatever as soon as colonel blimp leaves from uh trying to interrogate the prisoners you can you kind of see That the uh, other guy is about to implore some less ethical tactics. Mm -hmm. And I just I just love that we get to see just how blind he is at the same time being super experienced and knowledgeable.
0: Yeah, I so obviously the the main focus of this film is uh, Clive Candy, played by Roger Livesey. Great performance. Mm -hmm. I don't really know Roger Livesey from anything else, which is a shame. You don't need Um, to, though. Yeah, it's it it cuz it was originally going to be played by um that Shakespeare actor, the big one. What's his name? Um uh Charlton Heston. No, 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 no. Uh English actor. I'm looking it up. This is going to kill me. Um uh, God. Uh well, I'll just keep looking it up until I find it. But um the part was originally originally going to go to someone else, and then it went to Roger Livesey because the war um, called the other guy away, and we got Roger Livesey, which is great because I think the fact that you don't really know him as an actor from anything else um, uh-huh. is helps to kind of create this kind of singular vision in your mind of the character yeah. of Five Candy. He, just. You don't bring any outside
1: knowledge of the actor. This person is as new to you as it is to the movie.
0: Right. I think th- this is a great example of when casting someone who isn't a huge star. I don't know yeah. if this is the case for back then. I don't think he was as big of a star as other people were. Um, yeah. But I think the the real kind of... um It... It's obviously the movie is Clive Candy's story, but I think the heart of the film, um, and some of the most interesting parts of the film is, of course, uh, his friend, uh, Theo, Theo uh, Kreshmar Schuler, Schuldorf, yeah. or something, played by mm. the amazing actor Anton Walbrook. Have you ever seen mm. Anton Walbrook in another movie? I have not, because I have. He's in the red shoes, and that is one hell of a that's another Press movie, isn't yeah. it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Perf- I've never seen a performance by granted. I've only seen two this and red shoes, but he is fantastic in both. And well, I
1: really, I think one of the best scenes in the movie is, his sort of monologue when he's
0: trying to flee Germany
1: and into England.
0: I think my, my two v- favorite parts of the film, ironically have nothing to do with Clive candy. It's yeah. Theo's monologue to the uh, immigration processing officer about, how he's homesick for a country that he's never lived in. And Mm -hmm. this kind of incredible sadness you feel for this German man who's been forced to flee Germany. And it's an excellent exercise in empathy and just, wow. It's, it's, it's one of the best monologues in cinema history. It is. And, And, you know, obviously a lot of, mm -hmm. Uh, go ahead, What's up? No, go ahead. No, no, no go ahead
1: no go ahead okay i was gonna say a lot of uh what that has to do that theo uh scene obviously was um a lot of the things that i it was an emmerich pressburger because he is mm-hmm. from where austria hungary hungary yes uh he was also a sort of political refugee and apparently a lot of uh, what he experienced was put into that scene in particular
0: yeah and then i think the other poignant moment in the film is of course when clive candy's broadcast doesn't go through and he's feeling down and then yeah. theo gives him this little it's not really a monologue it's more of a, just a little speech about uh, how the rules talk. the rules of the game have changed how um i think the line is if you if you let them defeat you just because you are too honorable or something to hit back the same way they hit at you i don't know what it is but it's talking about like the rules of the war and how times have moved on from Clive Candy and it's just so eloquently stated and just kind of summing up the the monstrosity of the of the problem faced with England with the Nazis and mm-hmm. how this older generation just was not equipped in any way to deal with it and not through any fault of their own it's just history progressing to the point where the rules have changed and i'm sure it's gonna it's happened with the the boomers now and it's gonna happen with us (laughs) and i'm very curious to see what what the world will look like when we are old men and what rules will have changed then
1: yeah you know it's 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 a movie that's very introspective and i think a huge part of um why i i think this is uh one of the more interesting choices that I feel like is implored constantly throughout this movie is that we never see the actions that change people. We just, we move from different points. It's kind of the stuff that we're not shown as opposed to the stuff that we are shown, like the duel, for example, Mm -hmm. we don't really need to see the duel because we understand that it's just sort of, it's just another transitionary point. And I love that we, I love the way that this movie bounces in between different stages in Colonel Blimp's life where we can assume so much just by his slowly aging persona. He's a little like when we go from the duel to him in the middle of world war one, you can see not only through the makeup, but just through his performance, just how he's a little more tired, a little more wise, a little more wary of the world. Hmm. And just it's, that's just one of the, another reasons why the, the, that transition shot between Old Clive and young Clive is just so wonderful' because we just we just shed all of these years of wisdom and and uh experience, and then we just get right back to the youthful center that just gets built up of uh he just must uh, he grows a mustache and he loses his hair and he gets a gut and it's just it's it's a nice little reminder that we're all headed for that in one way or another
0: it's It's a war movie about the 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 parts it's a war movie without any action it's a war Mm -hmm. movie that's about the the blank space between the wars the years what happens to people between wars like world war one world war two and Mm -hmm. all that and it's not really filmed particularly extraordinarily if that makes sense like by today's standards. No, it's very by, simple. It's yeah. a
1: lot of sound stages, a lot of, uh, it's at some points I would even say cheesy stages. Yeah, like it feels like a TV
0: film at some points. Yeah,
1: like when uh, him, uh, when Clive and his uh, subordinate are in the trenches of World War I, it's so obviously a sound stage. You can tell that just the way he's looking off off camera, you can tell that he's just looking at an entire crew behind the camera.
0: But there's something about that that just feels right for this kind of movie. It's almost like that we're looking at it now that it's almost like Clive Candy looking back on his own past where it's kind of simple. The filmmaking itself is hearkening back to a simpler age. Yeah. And that in and of itself makes the movie age really well because the visual presentation is almost mirroring the, the... Expression of, you know, Clive Candy, being—it's a—he's reminiscing. Yes, yeah. he's
1: fondly looking back. To him, his whole life was—I mean, to an uh, to an extent, everybody lives their life thinking they're the stars of their own show, their own per, uh, theater performance. So it mm-hmm. makes sense. And obviously, there's a lot to do with technical limitations. But I never—I mean, I noticed it, but i it never took me out of. Well, it. If the anything is it made beautiful. Like more. You know, yeah. it's
0: filmed on film, Technicolor color is great it's really well shot and acted and and um blocked and just just the scene where he's trying to get that um
1: that one german guy's attention where they're all sitting in that elegant dining hall listening to the big band music and clive candy is trying to tell them to play a certain song that they used to play when they Mm -hmm. held their prisoners and just that whole beautifully constructed it's almost like a, a silent film uh comedy in that yeah.
0: regard it's a well There's it's a, a lot good of example memorable set of a, pieces. yeah that scene in particular is a good example of just a scene in general of like your character has a goal how yeah. do you get them to achieve a goal using not just their words and visually you know showing this tug of war between the two sides of the mm-hmm. scene great great scene to just look at it in terms of like screenwriting and how to make a scene um, Yeah, because a
1: lot of a lot of the plot is, there's not necessarily an overarching goal it's just little scenes that bring you into more little scenes that all add up by the end that just a complete portrait of a guy warts and all
0: and it's also a portrait of a friendship between him and and theo oh it's so and pure it very pure and like the when he says as their relationship develops and as um when theo asks him can i marry um what's her name hold on played by three names yeah edith edith can i marry edith is it yeah yeah well one of them and and you think it's oh clive is in love with her and all that but not really and they all just they you know they hug and it's oh i'm so happy for you and um very much very much (laughs) <laughs> over time, over the film, you feel like you're developing this friendship with these two people. So, the phrase, yeah. you know, Theo in the beginning, as a German, can't speak any English and all he knows is very much. And then, over the course of the film, as he says very much again in more of a kind of tongue in cheek way, now that he knows English, it's heartwarming. And you're like, oh my goodness, they're friends. I feel it. I don't just see yeah. it. They're not just telling me they're friends. I feel it too. Yeah just a, a
1: wonderful intimate epic it's very layered it's very well acted
0: very well written it's 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 i'd say a perfect movie i think it's got a little uh some funky pacing i like to say that about a lot of movies that are you pretty do. good yeah. um but i can't hold that against it so
1: but by the end what it manages to do I overlook any flaws that it might have. Mm-hmm. I love these kinds of movies, these character driven movies, and it's hard to make a character driven epic, especially one that is as devoid of action as this is. But even though it's devoid of action, it's never boring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They may, There's so many great lines in this movie that it makes you excited just to see two people sit in a
0: room and talk.
1: Yep. It's also coincidentally One of the most British things I've ever seen.
0: Oh my god, Chandler. How could I forget to say, listen, I grew up watching British television. My my aunt my on my mother's side, my family is from the UK. My mom studied Mm -hmm. in Oxford, so I have been seeped in British culture. Culture. Right growing up. I've literally watched British TV shows that no one has ever fucking heard of in this country. And I've watched uh, Agatha Christie. We've talked about that before. Yep, that's probably one fan. of the most British things I've ever seen, but a this this just like takes the cake by a mile in terms of just full-on Britishness from colonialism to stiff upper lip to everything. It's wow. It's it's it's, it, it's the
1: politeness with a little edge. It's the it's the teeth that are never horrible but never great. It <laughs> the is teeth. the com- the complete blindness to how awful their imperialism is. Uh
0: it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm uh it's this is a gem. This is like a hidden gem from the forties that I think more people need to watch. Yeah. I'm surprised uh
1: how many people that I, I talked to haven't heard of this or watched it. Cause I know a lot of people are familiar with the red shoes that appears mm-hmm. to be their big stamp on cinema history, but I mean, I'm sure we'll get to that at some point, but is I it on this list?
0: This... I feel like that's, another it has one to that... be, it has to be You say that. And I, I mean, know so there are, think. I know there are a few glaring omissions.
1: Black narcissist. That was one I've wanted to watch for a while. Oh, I didn't know they did peeping Tom.
0: Life, have you seen the matter of life and death? i have not no you should um uh, i don't know it's not on this page and this is the, the directors this is the first page so not the not oh, the no. end of the list this is the 80 to one
1: okay is it it's gotta be i don't see it
0: we oh, sh- no. we need to watch it anyway
1: well i'll watch it they got a criterion that looks very nice it's it is very uh, nice so moving on to the big question, I think it's this will be simple to answer. Does this deserve to be on the list? Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I have said I don't, I don't have yes. a single reason more to believe that and, it's not. Yeah. I, I've never said yes to any movie on this list with more confidence. Same. I, other and, movies deserve to be on the BFI list, but I'm not 100% confident. They're not fully anything, justifying of their appearance.
1: Again, we we're not that far into this whole uh-huh. venture, but if anything, I'm more surprised that it's this far down. Yeah, well, not I only think, because it is so great, but it is so quintessentially British.
0: Yeah, for me so far, I don't know if you've been looking at my because I I know you do, and I keep a running track uh, on Letterboxd, the list of these movies ranked. And yeah, I do. This, Les Samurai, and Earrings of Madame de are like the three that I am pretty. Confident or just great movies on their own merits, regardless. I would of say this,
1: Madame Day, and L'Argent are the ones. Mm.
0: Yeah. I might need another, but this another is, watch of L'Argent. Yeah. It's a good well, movie. this is going straight
1: to the top, regardless. Oh.
0: I think I still like uh, maybe Les Samurai more, but this is a. Really? Wow. I don't know. There's something about just that cool, um, yeah. melancholy um Stoicism of that film. That okay. I don't know. Well, this, this it's, is it's yeah. honestly it's it's a tie. It's a tie for first place between this and my Samurai and Earrings well, the Day its, in a close yeah. third.
1: This is on a completely new level for me. This is on its own tier. I do think it's a on wild. a new tier in general. Yes. Beyond my
0: opinion, this is the best thing we've watched so far. Yes uh it's
1: yeah it's it's gonna i feel like it's gonna take a while for me to get something that's gonna be mm-hmm. this good well, but don't go say that you me, don't know what's coming well, up
0: that's true what's, what's next week so next week we have the gold rush our first silent oh, film oh no we okay. we did zero to conduit last week oh well that i mean that had dialogue though that's not even a movie it's not even feature like yeah get it out I forgot about get it out one. of here
1: that's charlie chaplin right
0: yeah charlie chaplin the Gold Rush. Um, All right. Okay. That's, I don't, that's a I don't have line, a guest it? lined up for next week. So if you have anyone you want to. I'll ask. I can get Nick to watch this. It's well, 72 no, minutes. No, no, no. We're saving Nick for. Uh, at least I would like Nick to watch Yee. Yee okay. Yee, which is after the Gold Rush.
1: Okay. Um, it's only 72 minutes. So it regardless, it'll, it'll But I think easy. we're.
0: We, we did Brenton, and then we had last week's episode and this week's episode without guests. So it'd yeah. be nice to get a guest for next week. But
1: yeah,
0: um, I'll, yeah. I'll work on it. So that's uh, this episode of Split Take. Thank you yeah. for listening, everyone. Anything Thank else to you. add, Chandler?
1: Watch both these movies. Yes. I think this is, this is this is probably the best double bill we've done so far. We're both we've done some pretty good essential. double bills, but yes, this is
0: this is the best though. Yeah. We had a pretty good one with Earrings of Madame Day and Knives Out.
1: Yes, we did. Both of those to me are like nine out of ten movies, bordering on ten.
0: Especially Out. I was going to say they're they're A movies. This these are oh, A plus yeah. movies. These are A plus movies. Yeah. Just
1: uh, four yeah. a combined like
0: five hours of perfection. I am just smiling from thinking about both together. Wonderful. Watch them. This is this is the peak of our episode.
1: Our podcast is peaked. It's all downhill from here.